Let us pray. Lord God, as we come now to open your word, we ask that you would fill us with your grace. We ask that you would help us to understand this morning. And O Lord, may we learn something of of David's faith. May we learn of, of how you made him patient and encouraged him and he had hope in you. And Father, may we have that same hope that he had. And that is the hope that is found in Christ. The Lord bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of your word for the sake of Christ as we pray in his name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so and take your copies of God's word and turn with me to 1 Samuel 26. For Samuel 26, we'll begin at verse 1 and read the end of the chapter, verse 25 here now. The Word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. Then the Zippites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakalah? which is on the east of Jeshimon. So Saul rose and went down to the wilderness of Zip with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Zip. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul. And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner And the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come to die. Or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. 
So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any wake. For they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to, the, and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. Because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord. Saying, go serve other gods. Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come. Out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so my, may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we were in 1 Samuel 25, and we saw David and Nabal. We saw the man by the name of Nabal, the stupid man, uh, the foolish man. But he was very rich. And he loved his riches, so much so that when David came asking for some help and, and food for he and his men, Nabal said, well, who are you that I should help you? We then heard of the wisdom of Nobel's wife, Abigail. 
as she was one who feared God and knew that David would be king in Israel. And she gave David and his men those provisions. We then saw the work of the Lord in striking Nabal dead. And finally, we saw David took Abigail as wife and we saw the reason why Saul had given Michael David's wife and Saul's daughter to another man to be wife. David took Abigail, but he had already taken Ahanoam of, of Jezreel. So at this moment, he had, he had two wives against the creation ordinance of marriage. And so we come now to the third episode in the last three chapters with a common theme. And again, the common theme is this. David, or the control of David, as he waits for the promise of God. Now another way we can look at these three chapters is this way. The test of David's faith as he waits for the promise of God. Two weeks ago we looked at the robe episode when Saul came into the cave where David and his men were hiding to relieve himself. Uh, David cut off a portion of his robe and he was tempted to kill Saul. Last week we saw the, the feast episode with Nabal after he turned David down, after he told David he would not give him anything, how David was going to go and, and kill everyone or every male in his house. And so this week, David again has another chance to kill Saul. And so once again, the faith of David is tested. Saul again comes after him, seeking to murder David. And so David is, is going to be tested. But we see here this morning that David has learned something from the previous two episodes. And we see that as the, the faith of David is tested, that there is a, a patience now concerning his faith. There is an encouragement concerning David's faith. And we'll finally see this morning... There is hope in David's faith. But we begin with David's faith tested in verses 1 through 5. We see the, the Ziphites are at it again. This is the second time in the last three chapters they come to Saul. And they say, Saul, David is among us. Come and get him. Now again, David is in hiding. Why? Well, Saul is seeking to track him down and, and murder David. And so again, the, the Ziphites, they become an obstacle uh, to, to David and really a test of, of David's faith. Now, he doesn't know it, but they're behind the scenes and they're, they are stirring the pots. And so Saul again comes after David. He again comes to stalk David. He chooses 300 men and they go to seek David with one intent. That is to murder David. That is to get rid of the man who would become king after Saul. Now why would Saul do this? Well, he's intent on keeping power. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this is what we see. And we see this throughout the history of the world, don't we? We see it in every government. And we see it in every nation. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this is what Saul has. 
He has absolute power. But also his heart is so hardened against God that he is consumed with anger. Now Jesus in Matthew's Gospel tells us when we are consumed with anger against a person, it is as if we have committed murder in our hearts against that person. So David gets word that Saul is in the area. And so what will David do? Well, we see David scouting the layout of Saul's camp. And we know why he did that in the text. But it's important that we see David sends out spies. He learns that, yes, Saul is in the area. And so he, he, he rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. David saw the place with his own eyes. He saw where Saul was, where Abner, the commander of his army, was, and how they were all lying within the encampment with Saul in the middle. And so this is the test before David. For the second time, David will have an opportunity to get rid of Saul, to kill him. And to become king. And so what will he do? And so the second thing we see is David's patience in faith. After scouting out Saul's encampment, he goes back. And he speaks to two men, Ahimelech the Hittite, Abishai, the, uh, um, and, and to Joab's brother, Abishai. He has a simple question. Who will go down with me to the camp of Saul? Abishai volunteered. Now, Abishai likely thought that him and David were going to take out Saul. To, to form a, a two-man hit squad to, to go and to kill Saul in the midst of his army. And Abishai, we know, would have done just that. And so both men go into the camp and they find Saul sleeping by, with a spear by his head and a water pot. And there was Abner and the army of Saul surrounding him. And notice the conversation in, in, in verses 8 through, and, and 9. Abishai speaks in verse 8, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. Abishai says, David, here's your chance. Let me at him. I will run him through with this spear and he will not even know what hit him. Now again, this, this is a test. Has David learned anything? Well, we learn that he has in, in verse 9. David says to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? This is what David learned and knew the first time around when there Saul was in the cave and he took a, a, a portion of his robe. David knew that if he raised his hand against the Lord's anointed, that nothing good would come of it. And so he knows that beyond a shadow of doubt. And he goes on in verse 10, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to him or he will go down into battle and perish. This is how we know David had learned something. 
He is trusting in the providence of God. Just as he learned in the situation with Nabal by the wisdom of Abigail, he has taken that to heart and he says three things. I will not touch, I will not touch the Lord's anointed because I know three things. That one day the Lord may strike him. And that's what God did to Nabal, right? Nabal had heard uh, of how much Abigail had given away to David and his heart became like a stone and ten days later he died by the hand of God. Or Saul's day will come to die. He will die of old age. He will one day die. Or he will go down into battle and perish. Regardless, David is leaving this matter in the hands of God. He is trusting the providence of God. He goes on in verse 11, The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but now take the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and, and let us go. And so they take the spear and the jar of water. And you notice what was said in verse 12. How could this happen? How could two men go in, have a conversation... In the middle of an army, nobody here. Because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. God in His providence protected David and Abishai. And so we again see the Lord's hand at work. And this takes us to the third thing that we see, and that is David's encouragement in faith. So David and Abishai leave. And David calls out to Abner, the commander of Saul's army. And did you catch the, the satire in David's voice? Here you have Abner, a premier soldier of Saul, and he cannot even guard Saul. David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king and David said to Abner, Are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over the Lord your king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, the king, the Lord uh, coming to destroy the king, your Lord. David called out the, the manhood of Abner. He says, You're not much of a man. You're not much of a soldier. You're not much of a bodyguard. I, I have come in. Someone has come in and he's threatened the life of the king. And so David says, all of you should be put to death. Abner, all of you, you should be put to death. All the army of, of Saul shall be court-martialed and executed for failure to protect the life of the king. Now why is this an encouragement? Well, notice what David has seen in this whole episode. The power of Saul is gone. His own army could not keep David and Abishai from sneaking in and taking the spear and the water jug. God has removed all the power that Saul had from him. And so David knows now that God is going to give him the kingdom. Now, this will be assigned to Saul as well. And we'll see that in a moment. 
After Saul interacts with David, he understands what God has done. And so David should receive this as an encouragement from God, as an assuring token from the Lord that the the power of Saul as king is gone over Israel and that David will truly be the king after God's own hearts. But then our text ends with David's hope. In faith. In verse 17, Saul hears David's voice. Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O King. David again asked Saul a series of questions. Saul, why, why are you coming after me? What have I done? Now, if David had committed treason against Saul, he would well expect. Saul to come after him and try to kill him. And Saul would have every reason to do that. But David knew that his hands were clean, that he was innocent. He had done nothing evil against against Saul, but Saul was listening to the wrong people. Verse 19, David says, If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering." But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I shall have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go and serve other gods. <clears throat> now David says there, if, if it was the Lord that brought Saul against David, all David would have to do is go and offer a sacrifice and appease the wrath of God. And if he brought the right sacrifice, the wrath of God would be appeased. But David knows he has done no wrong concerning Saul. And so that the men that Saul are listening to, they have driven David out of the land of Israel. Now why is that important? Why does David say that they have driven him out so that he should have no heritage, no, no not share in the heritage of the Lord and, and go and serve other gods. David knew to be cut off from the Lord's inheritance was to be cut off from the Lord's face. That when one had left Israel, there was no possibility of public worship. See, David was not able to go back and worship God. He was running for his life. David could not go to that first Presbyterian church of Israel while he was running and worship God with fellow believers. No, he was running from Saul. He was running for his life. And so as he had been expelled, he was saying that the heritage of God had been taken from him. Worship had been taken from him. Do you hear something, Christian? Worship was important to David. Is it to you? If it's not, then there's something wrong with us. David continues and says, Let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek from uh, has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. And so Saul responds. Did you notice? He he responded with a confession of sin. That's good, right? Well, it would be good if he meant it. 
You know, we can confess sin with our lips, but if we don't mean it in our hearts, it does us no good. He invited David to come back to him. He had made a great mistake. He had acted foolishly. So he asked David to return. He says, I will do you no no more harm. Now David had learned his lesson in that too. How many times has Saul thrown a spear at him? And so he promised David not to harm him. And so David responds in verse 22. And he says, here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and and take it. David is really saying, Saul, Saul, you can save your breath and your promises. I don't believe a word you're saying. But if you want your spear, come get it. If you want your water jug, come get it. What is the saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. David will not be fooled again. And David also will not be returning to Saul. Verse 23, David says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David is content remaining with the Lord to let the Lord deal with Saul. David could have taken his life. And so David in verse 24 proceeds to cast himself and his future upon his only hope. And who was the only hope of David? The Lord. He says in verse 24, Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may He deliver me out of all tribulation. You see, David had learned his lesson. For three, time, three episodes now, David was tempted to murder someone, to kill someone in order to achieve the promises of God quicker. And now he says, I will not do it. This is in the hands of God and I will, I will keep it there and I will remain with the Lord and I will not return to Saul. And so Saul and David, they speak their final words in verse 25. Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. And David went his way and Saul returned to his place. And notice, we know if we know this book well, that this is the last time that David and Saul ever see each other. David would remain with the Lord. Now what application can we make? Well, first, we know in this life that our faith will be tested. The question is this, how will we respond? Now it's safe to say over the last couple of years, our faith has been severely tested. And so how do we respond? Now it took David some time, didn't it? But he finally understood in his circumstance what he had to do. He had to wait upon the Lord. And there are many times when we must do the same. Many times we are, test, we, are, we are tempted and tested to take shortcuts. Children, those of you who take tests, are you ever tempted to cheat on a test? Yes, you are, because I was. 
And I'll confess to you, sometimes I did, and I was quite successful. It was still wrong. It's taking a shortcut, isn't it? And so we're not to take shortcuts in our walk with, with the Lord. When our faith is tested by God, we rest and we trust in Him and we cling to the promises of God as they are given to us in Scripture. But we trust. We believe. Second, we must have a, a patient faith. We are all, by nature, impatient. Our culture is an impatient culture. We want everything and we want it now. It's all around us, right? It's all about me and what, what I want and what, what I desire. And if I might be, may be so bold, none of this life is about you or me. As a Christian, it is about Christ. But there are times when we must be still and know that God is God. That is the proper perspective for the Christian life. The psalmist tells us, God tells us by way of the psalm, be still and know that I am God. We're not. We try to be. Every time we try to work ahead of God, we, we are saying, I'm like you. and I, I, I can be like you. And, and God laughs at us. And rightfully so. God sits in the heavens today and laughs at all the wicked that are trying to be like him. We will never be God. Now we are made in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. Naturally by birth we are created in the image of God. And then we are recreated in the image of God by our spiritual birth. Which is regeneration. But Christian you will always be a creature of God. You will always be one who answers to God and bows the knee to Him. And we are to wait upon Him. And yes, we may believe sometimes that God works very slowly in this world. And He does to us, but He is always on time for us. He's never late. So we are to wait. And as we wait, the third application is this. God will send encouragement to us when we need it most. I think we all can testify of this truth this morning. There have been times where we needed encouragement. Now the blue, God in His providence sent a fellow believer to us. And they reminded us of Scripture. And we were encouraged to continue on in the faith. God is always on time. God will send other believers to us when we need it. Sometimes He just calls to our mind a scripture maybe we learned as, as a young child and He brings it back to our memory by His Holy Spirit and we find that encouragement that we need to continue on. Because there are times, if we are honest, that we don't want to continue on. There are times when we wonder, is it all worth it? And so at the right moment, God sends us that encouragement. Fourth, who is 
the hope of our faith. Who was the hope of David's faith? It is Jesus. And He is the hope of our faith as well. He's the object of our faith. You see, saving faith has an object, and that object is Jesus Christ. You see, if you do not have Jesus Christ as the object of your faith, you have no true faith at all. And you're lost. Think of the millions of people today. Well, I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe there is a God. That is unbelief. That is wickedness. That is lostness. It's not enough to believe that there is a generic God that you must worship and serve. You must believe in the one true God who created all things in the space of six days, who controls all things by way of His providence and sovereignty, and who sent His only Son to die for the sins of His people. Jesus is the only object of true saving faith. And so if He is not the object of your faith, you have no faith. But not only is Jesus the object of true saving faith, He is the hope of our faith. This evening, again, we're going to look at the resurrection. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the resurrection for the believer. Again, the church of Corinth, there was a lot of of misunderstanding concerning the resurrection. And tonight, Paul is going to begin to to show us what the resurrection body will be like. I'll go ahead and give you a hint. It will be like Jesus' body today. The last week, last Sunday evening, Paul asked some very important questions. If there's no resurrection of the dead, if there's no resurrection of Christ, then why suffer for Christ? If there's no resurrection of Christ, then why why die a martyr's death for Christ? If there's no resurrection of Christ, then we might all as well leave here today and go out never to return to this place to worship God again if there's no resurrection of Christ. And eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But then he said, but there is a resurrection of Christ. And that is our hope. He is our hope. And so let me ask you, is Jesus the hope of your faith? Is He the object of your faith? If not, then you have no saving faith in Jesus. You're lost. And so what must you do? Well, you must do what we have all done who have faith in Christ. You must turn from your sins and believe in Jesus and Him alone for your salvation. As you do that in faith, you will be saved. You will be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And you will know that hope that David had that you have as well. And so do you have that hope this morning? If not, come to Christ. For the rest of us, let us live out what we are called to live. Let us live as Christians. Let us live in and by faith. And as we do that, we will glorify our God. And we'll glorify our Savior who will come again for His people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word here this morning.
And oh Lord, we thank You for that faith that You give to us. No, oh Lord, we confess and know that many times our faith is tested and You give us Your Spirit to help us through those times of testing. But may we have a, a patient faith. We thank You when You send encouragement to us and may we have hope. That hope is Christ. Father, I pray for any here this morning that does not have hope because they have no faith. Give them the faith they need to believe in Jesus. Change their hearts. Call them to Christ. And bring them to Christ. And oh Lord, may we wait upon You. And we wait for that day when Christ comes to take us home. May we be patient in our waiting, but may that day come quickly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.